The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Why did he use that word? God goes to extreme measures to bring the loss to himself. The greatest gift you will ever give this world is your intimacy with God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three inside of me. I've got the power right now. I think what Jesus really wants is people to go. I want to be the answer to Jesus' prayer request. Welcome to the Fuel for the Harvest podcast. When this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, then shall the end come. Hey everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of Fuel for the Harvest. This is Nathan. And I'm Charlie. We're your host for today. And we're continuing the Worldview series. Today we're going to be talking about Jehovah's Witness. Maybe you've had them knock on your door. Uh, we've had multiple people knock on our doors at my house, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons, different ones. We have another episode on Mormonism. But today we're talking about Jehovah's Witness. And we invited onto the podcast a good friend and mentor of ours, Adrian Dupre. He's an evangelist and apologist of sorts at different times and really good at defending the faith, leading others to Christ. So Adrian, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure. Love you guys. Looking forward to this. Yeah, I love you, man. We're, we're real excited. Well, let's just dive in uh, here. And Adrian, to start off, I guess, why don't you just share a little bit about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? What would people like to know about you? Well, I, I'm an evangelist. I've been traveling for Forge Ministries for the last 30 years. Uh, I've been in 48 states and 37 countries. If anybody needs me to minister in Hawaii, I will suffer for Jesus in Hawaii. We'll probably get some pretty cheap tickets right now, so we could do that. Um, I, I, uh, I've, I've, I've been traveling and speaking for a long time. I also was a chaplain for a football team for 17 years. University of South Carolina I was Lou Holtz's chaplain and Steve Spurrier's chaplain um, as a little side gig. Uh, my hobbies are I love reading the Bible. Uh, when people ask me what's your favorite book, what, what, I, I, I say uh, the Bible. Uh, and they say, no, no, no. What books are you reading? I say, well, James and uh, John, those are two books I've been reading. And in Ecclesiastes, kind of a tough book there. So I really love the Bible. Maybe. I don't Leviticus and I love Levi Titicus. So I I love reading the Bible. I love reading about what people say about the Bible. But why would I? I don't do that as much as I read the Bible. So I love the Bible. I've memorized quite a few books of the Bible. I love doing that. Um, also, I have become through the years. Uh, uh, for example, the Mormons when they come into Columbia, all get a picture of me. They're not. I'm. I'm. I'm called one of their public enemy number ones, and they're not to talk to me. So I've studied up on Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, so I could lead people to the Lord, lead the, uh, these guys to Christ. And I've studied the, the way that they think. So I've been doing that for 30 years as well. Um, uh, uh, I have interesting stories to tell you about that that we'll probably get into in this podcast, um, um, especially about Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, so I'm sure those will come out. And I just, I, I guess I could summarize myself by saying, I just love the Bible. I'm, I'm not as good as I want to be with it, but I'm trying to get better and, and, uh, and trying to improve, trying to get better. I'm not, I'm not that great, but I'm tall. <laughs> hey, that's good because uh, I don't know if anybody knows this, but I'm not tall. I'm in the yeah, middle. You're, <laughs> you're my little mini me, so I like that. I like that. Uh, well, so hey, I just say that out loud. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what you talk about, Willis. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's good. Good stuff. Well, we love talking about the Bible and we love talking about engaging other people with the Bible and helping them to learn how to engage the Bible themselves. So uh, we're excited about what God will show us today and those who are listening on this podcast and this episode. Uh, and actually, I thought it might be fun before we dive into the questions of what do Jehovah's Witnesses believe? Adrian, why don't you tell us a story of uh, just a wild time when you got to talk with a Jehovah's Witness? Maybe something surprised you or something exciting happened or terrible. I have no idea. Why don't you tell us a story? All right. I was, uh, I was in seminary at the time, and these Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door. Now, I have tons and tons of stories about that because uh, I, I'm, I have a funny technique that I use. We'll probably get into later in the podcast. But th at this one time, I was in seminary, so I was real young in the faith. And... <clears throat> They came to my door. I said, listen, I'm studying Greek. I told these two guys, I said, I study Greek. Could you come back next week with your, with your church leaders? 
and let's get together next week in my apartment and you can try to convert me and I'll try to talk to you about the Lord. And, and, and I was trying to be as honest as I could with them. So the next week, they, the three top leaders of the Jehovah's Witness Church came to my apartment. Now, these are the three top guys. Now, the Jehovah's Witness International moves its headquarters every year to a different location. And that year, the headquarters for the, for the Jehovah's Witness Church was in Columbia, South Carolina. Okay, so these are the top three guys in the world in the Jehovah's Witness Church in my house. And they were, they were, they were really smart. And I, I'm just a seminary student. What am I, what am I going to do? And they're just, they're just killing me. Just bam, 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 just smashing me. And, uh, and I'm having a, a rough time of it until this Bible verse in, in John chapter 5, John chapter 5, verse 18. I'm turning to it now. I have it memorized. But I'm turning to it now because I don't want to mess it up at all. It, it jumps off the page at me. I mean, I don't know if I can say literally jumps off the page at me because what does that mean? But uh, I'm, I'm sitting there. Uh, this Bible passage in John 5, 18 hits me. It says, for this reason, they tried all the harder to kill him, talking about Jesus there, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So that verse jumped off the page at me. I, and I read it to them in the New World Translation. They have a, a Bible, NWT, New World Translation. That's their translation of the scriptures. Um, I, I, I read it to them using the New World Translation. I said, okay, let's turn to John chapter 5, verse 18. What does that say? For this reason, they tried all the harder to kill him. It says the same as what I had in the NIV at the time. Uh, for this reason, they tried all the harder to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. I said, okay, now who, who wrote this? Well, John wrote it. I said, who was, who was calling Jesus this? Well, these are the Pharisees. For this reason, they, the Pharisees, leaders of the church, tried all hard to kill him. So I was talking to these guys, and the middle guy named Lee Martin was with me, and they kept on and on and on talking about how Jesus is the Son of God. I said, you're right. He's the Son of God. Son of God did not mean in the, new, in the, new, new, in the uh, Jehovah's Witness system worldview they believe he's not God. He's not equal to God. They think he's a son of God. He's a lesser. He's a, he's a subservient kind of a, of, a, of a person. And so I said, okay, but what does this verse say? What are they saying? Who's saying it? The Jews are saying it. For this reason, they tried all of her to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which is what he was doing the day before, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So I asked them over and over again for 20 minutes, Charlie, for 20 minutes, I said, if he called himself the son of God, what did that mean from a Jewish perspective? They said, we're not sure. They went I said, well, read the verse again. Read the verse again for 20 straight minutes. Finally, Lee Martin leans forward and says, okay, okay. From a Jewish perspective, if he ever calls himself the son of God, that means he's equal to God. Now, who was saying that about him? Making himself equal to God was not Jesus. That was the Pharisees saying that. The people who are anti-Jesus were saying that. If he ever calls himself the son of God, that means he's equal to God. I said, so then they said, okay, son of God means equal to God. I said, okay, that's easy. I said, well, turn over to Matthew 26 and let's see what Caiaphas says to Jesus. Caiaphas says, tell us the truth. Are you the Christ, the son of the living God? And Jesus responded, ego a me. Very interesting phrase there, ego a me in the Greek, which means I am. If you translate the Old Testament conversation between uh, Moses and God at the burning bush. Uh, Moses is talking to God, and God says, "Who shall I say?" Uh, Moses says, "Who shall I say sent me?" And 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 in the Hebrew, "Ho'an," uh, which it was an "I am" phrase. Um, when you translate that Hebrew phrase "I am" that God said into the Greek, which is called the Septuagint, the phrase they use there is "ego a me." So all these guys would have known that. All these guys would have studied the, the Septuagint. They would have known this book like the back of their hand. You could drive a nail through the cover of the Bible for a Pharisee, and just by the position of the nail, they would know every word on every page that that, that that nail went through. That's how well they knew the scriptures. They memorized them over and over and over again. And that's just a, a they didn't have Bibles like we have them today. They had parchments and scrolls, so that wouldn't work for them. But you know what I'm saying? That's just an illustration to tell you how much, like when I memorize a book of the Bible, I know the, where the words are on the page because I've memorized the page. So. Uh, 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 um, so I, I said to them, so does Jesus ever call himself the son of God? He says, I am. 
to them. Caiaphas rips open his clothes, which is against the law for him to rip open his clothes. And that's what it says in Leviticus that a, a high priest is never to rip his clothes open ever. Caiaphas was one of the first guys, I think, to ever do it, ripped open his clothes when Jesus said, I am, to the question, are you the son of the living God? Jesus said, I am. So then Lee Martin stands up right in the middle of this conversation, stands up and says, and he starts to cry. And he says, you may have just changed my life. And the other two elders of the church jump up quickly, grab him by the arm, leading out of my apartment, down the hallway, I'm on the second, third floor, down the hallway, and he turns around and looks at me and says, you may have just changed my life, and they're leading him away like they're escorting him to prison. Um, I said, Lee, give yourself to Jesus. He is God. Give yourself to Jesus, and, and went on. I called every Lee Martin in the phone book. We had phone books back in that day. Shut up. Um, um, you, you millennial people, I don't understand you, but uh, 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 I'm a boomer. Boomer? I'm a boomer zoomer. <laughs> Okay, that's not funny. So, um, so Lee, Mar I, I called everyone, couldn't find him, completely lost track of him. But several years later, I have this little technique. I guess I could tell you now what the, my technique is when, when a Jehovah's Witness comes to my door. My kids sit there at the windows and watch me from my windows. It's so funny. I get out there and say, Jehovah's Witnesses, I love you guys. You guys are awesome. And I slowly, and I mean really, really slowly walk while I'm talking to them so that I have them blockaded on my porch and they can't get away. <laughs> I blocked the exit. And uh, one of these, one time this lady was talking to me and we were talking about, I was, I was breaking down the new world translation. I probably know more about their new world translation than they do. Bless their hearts. Cults have a tendency like a, one time I was with a bunch of Mormons and I said, I said, uh, we're six Mormon missionaries in there. I said, I can prove to you guys that you're brainwashed. They said, how are you going to prove that? And I just did it one time. I've never done it since. I've just did it one time. But it worked this one time. I said, give me a number between one and a thousand. The number that came up was 723. I said, okay, turn to page on all, all six of your, see the Mormon Bible is all, it's the Pearl of Great Price, it's the King James Version, it's the Doctrine and Covenants, and it's the Book of Mormon all in one book. And they're, so it's really thick. And I said, turn to page 723 in your Bibles. So all, all six Bibles are open up to page 723. And all of them had the same exact verses underlined. I said, you guys didn't learn this on your own. You were brainwashed. You were trained to believe what you believe. So I was, I was talking to some ladies about that and how the New World Translation, and, and they were on my porch, and I was being nice and using a lot of humor. But I said, yeah. And then I told them a story about Lee Martin. And the lady starts to look at me like she's mad. And she says, are you the one who led Lee Martin astray? I said, oh, dear. So that's awesome. I learned that I'd led Lee Martin astray from the Jehovah's Witness Church. Wow. <laughs> so that's God. a story. Sorry. Sorry it's so long, hey, but that's a story. No, that's a good story. It actually uh, gives me some questions that might be helpful for us to talk about. Uh, it, it actually reminds me, too. I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea, but I have tried it. Um, I've had Jehovah's Witness show up at my house a couple times, a few times, and uh, I always try to talk to them, too. Learn a lot when you talk to them. Uh, one of the first times I said, man, you guys, you know, you're going from door to door. It's really hard. The weather's bad. Like that's hard work. Do you mind if I just pray a blessing over you before you leave? And they said, oh no, no, you can't, you can't pray over us. Uh, and I said, oh, it's fine. I'll pray in the name of Jehovah. If, if you don't mind, I know that's the name of God. I'll, I'll just use that name. And they said, no, no, you can't pray for us. So the next time that some Jehovah's Witness came to my door, I, I'm not sure I'm recommending this. I don't know if it's good or bad, but I believe there's power in prayer. So at the end of our conversation, I just decided to start praying. <laughs> I just started praying. And Lord, would you bless these guys? And they're sitting there. They couldn't say a word. I don't know. So uh, interesting times, but I never ask permission anymore if I feel led to pray because I they'll just say no. Um, but here's my question. As, as you're sharing these stories, I think we'd love to hear uh, – several things that come to mind when Jesus was calling himself the son of God to make himself equal with God. Couldn't a counter argument be maybe a Jehovah's witness would say this. I think they might. Well, we're all sons of God. Uh, aren't we called the children of God? Aren't, am I not called the son of God? And so if that's the case, how do you answer that objection to that, that idea? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the difference is, Jesus was called the Christ, the son of the living God. 
which is the title Messiah. Uh, Christ is not his last name. Like people say his name is Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus Christ is not his name. Christ is his title, the Messiah. So for him to have that title along with the Son of God adds a lot more weight to it. You're not going to call me. I am a son of God. It says in John, uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 16, that, that we are joint heirs with Christ. We are, are uh, uh, sons, of, sons of God, uh, children of God, and that's what we are, it says in 1 John uh, chapter 2, I believe. Um, 1 John 3, 15, maybe. I can't remember what verse it is. 3, 1, 1 John 3, 1, we are sons of God, and that's what we are. Um, uh, so the difference is he's called the Christ. The Son of the Living God, which is the which is the uh, the title Messiah, the ones that the Old Testament was talking about all the way through from from Genesis chapter three, when the seed of Eve was talked about, and 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 the seed of Eve is going to crush the head of the snake of the serpent. All of that, all the way through the Messiah that was talked about. The Jews are still waiting for the Messiah to come. By the way, as far as they're concerned, even though they missed it when he really did come. And when they see him, they're going to be speechless in the book of Revelation and pierced. When they see the one they've pierced, they're going to be speechless and many are going to be converted. So um, so that's talking about the Christ, not me as an individual. We're all children of God, but we're not all the Christ. There's only one of those. Good question. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, all right. So uh, if, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but, uh, before we transition to the next kind of diving in, I just while we're on it, and another because of your story, it just it brings out these questions, and maybe people who are listening are wondering. I'm wondering, uh, and if you've talked to, to Jehovah's Witnesses, they always seem to bring up this verse, John chapter ten, verse thirty-three to thirty-four, uh, and it kind of relates. Well, aren't we all little g gods? So if Jesus is making himself equal with God, so wouldn't they say, John chapter, they say, hey, turn to, they're, they're notorious for this, aren't they? You talk, you bring up one verse and then they just kind of change the topic and jump to another one. Uh, so they always jump to John 10, 33. The Jews answered answer Jesus. It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself God. So what if a Jehovah's Witness said, you're right, the Jews are saying that Jesus is claiming to be God from a Jewish perspective. But then Jesus answers them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are little G gods. And so couldn't Jesus just be saying, hey, just like you guys, I'm, I'm not the God, I'm just a little G God. Uh, what would you say to that, Adrian? Yeah, the, the verses, I, was, I would go back a couple of verses to verse 31. Um, uh, uh, again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him, for which is miracles that I've done. Jesus said, are you stoning me? We're not stoning you for any of these, verse 33, but for blasphemy because you were mere man claimed to be God. The next verse is a, is a subservient type verse that seems to be saying that Jesus is below God, uh, serves God. below, And that is actually true. Jesus has put himself in that place on this planet. That's what the book of Philippians says in chapter 2. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider a quality of God something to be grasped. That word grasp is the word harpagmon. The word harpagmon means to be held onto like a trophy. Like uh, you see the Super Bowl trophy, how they hold it up and they kiss it in the World Series trophy and they're screaming and one run holding it. When you hold the trophy, like an MVP trophy especially, MVP trophy, when you hold that, you're walking around with it, that's called harpagmon. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, which is what he had, something to be harpagmon. But he set himself, set it down. That's the Greek word kenosis. He emptied himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He became a servant, a slave, a doulos. Jesus did all that because he could. Only God could do that. So, so the, the question now on the table then is, is Jesus God? If that's the question, that's a little easier question than how to answer these questions that are subservient. That's actually these subservient verses. When you when you went to them, that's how they were beating my brains in. Uh, uh, the leaders of the Jehovah's Witness churches were going to verses like that and beating my brains in. And as I've studied it, those are all verses that Jesus put himself in that position where he said, where he said, "I am, I and the Father are one." He made that comment, but then he said, "I can only do what my Father tells me to do." He put himself in that position so that we would learn how to 
how to follow Christ. And everything he did was an example to us anyways. But the question on the table now is, is Jesus God? If that's the question, then you should go to Titus chapter 2. Titus 2 verse 13, there's a Greek word called chi. And I do this with the Jehovah's Witnesses all the time. The word chi in the Greek is, the, is the translated into English and. So whenever you have, here's a, here's a, English is my second language. I took freshman English as a fifth-year senior in college. I'm not very smart. I got 770 in SAT, 15 on the, on, on the ACT. But I'm just saying the lights are on my nose all in my house. But I'm not very smart. But I, when I took Greek in seminary, I took four semesters of Greek. And when I took Greek, I learned English better. So here's what the rule says, the English rule says. If there's an and in between two adjectives, the preceding or proceeding noun both the adjectives get contributed to, uh, attributed to that noun. Let me give an example. That guy is tall and good looking. That guy is the noun. Guy is the noun. Tall and good looking are the adjectives that both go to the guy. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? That's a common English concept. I don't know how to say it or whatever, but Kai makes it that way. Titus two thirteen says, "Our great, our great God and Savior." So God and Savior are the two adjectives. God and Savior. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They are attributed to Jesus Christ. Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, in 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, it says our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So both the God and Savior are both attributed to Jesus. You can't attribute our great God and Savior to any person on the planet. They can only be attributed to, the, to David. So... Uh, uh, and I've got a lot more to a lot more verses to come to mind and John chapter one and, and, uh, the new world translation has been changed in John one. They've actually changed it recently in the last 20 years and John chapter one, where it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was, and they changed it from the word was God. The word was a God. They changed it to a God. The problem in the Greek is the word is still theon and theos. The two, the, 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 the variant of the word theos, which is the Greek word for God, there's no, there's no, uh, uh, whatever you call it, a or an in the Greek. It's, they put it in there, even though it's not in the Greek. Um, so, and, and uh, there is a, a way to do that in the Greek. So they, they decided to put it in there because they couldn't, you know, come up with a concept of how to deal with that verse in the Jehovah's Witness belief system. So it's, it's kind uh, of fascinating that they've come up with their own translation. Like it seems like in the, in, in the Mormon worldview, they just say anything that doesn't match our theology that's been corrupted over time in the scriptures. But the Jehovah's Witness said, no, 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 no. It's not been corrupted. It's just been mistranslated. So we just got to translate it back to, to what they, what they believe is accurate. Yeah. That's my definition of a cult is it's slightly off. There is a thing that happened. Now, this is a bad, this is a bad, I, I've come to the place where I, I kind of don't like this concept here that much, but I'm going to say it because I know how it started. In the 19, early 1900s, there's a, a group of guys who came about because of all these cults that got started in the 1800s. Now, the reason why the cults got started, 1870 was when Jehovah's Witnesses started. Uh, um, in the 1830s, 1840s is when the Mormons started. Uh, uh, really took off after that. Um, the reason why they started is because a church had turned inward and they were starting to turn liberal, more and more liberal, and they started to become less effective. They were the fifth, sixth, seventh generation without revival or awakening. And so that's what's going on at this point in time. That's why, that's why the Jehovah's Witness Church started, because the church wasn't really doing its job. Um, why, why did I get on this? I forgot why I got on this. Isn't that funny? I completely uh, went brain dead. Because of cults. Yeah, cults are a little yeah. bit true. How, how they get started? That's right. So what happened was these guys, like there was a Bible uh, students who started the Jehovah's Witness Church, and and because of that, they started saying, well, let's we're gonna we're gonna change this a little bit. We're gonna do something here to give us some more power and some more effectiveness. I really think now this is gonna be kind of harsh, but I really think a lot of the starts of these things are are kind of evil. They're kind of demonic in a sense. And the reason why is because these guys are being attacked. It's like Satan knows the Bible better than all of us put together anyways. So like when he quoted the verse to Jesus in the, in the wilderness, he said uh, in Psalm 91, I think it's verse 11. Um, in Psalm 91, he quotes the verse, but he leaves off a main phrase 
and he will command his angels concerning you, and they will hold you up in their hands and will not allow your foot to get astray. And he leaves off in all your ways. He leaves that line off. So that's what Satan does. He takes it and twists it a little bit off of the off of the uh, the truth, so he can make it look different. That's how a cult gets started. These fundamentalists said we we these group of guys in the nineteen early nineteen hundreds were called fundamentalists. They said we need to find out the five fundamentals of the faith to determine what's a cult and what's not a cult. One of them was the deity of Christ. That's why Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses are considered a cult because they don't believe in the deity of Christ. Another one is the inerrancy of scripture in the original autograph. Another one is literal heaven and hell. Another one is uh, 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 return of the literal return of Christ. And I forget the fifth one. There's, a, there's five of them, the five fundamentals. So that it, through time, now watch what's happened now to us today. The term fundamentalist has a negative connotation today because through time, it is people start to pick at it and pick it like a bird picking at a at something. I don't know. I don't want to use a dead body, but it's nasty. But I'm just saying the bird's just picking on it. And they pick on the, the and they, the liberals will attack, 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 until finally the term fundamentalist is an insult. Well, that's how the term Christian got started in the first place. It was an insulting term. So could I be called a fundamentalist? The question is, do I believe the fundamentals of the faith? Yes. The fundamentals are the cinder block by which we've built the, the whole house on. Uh, they are the, the foundation. The fundamentals is Christ, for goodness sake. He's the cornerstone. You start with the cornerstone and you go from there. So we've got to start with the fundamentals. I don't, I don't believe in a progressive revelation or pro, uh, progressive hermeneutic that we would study the Bible differently than what they, when the Bible would be written differently today than what it was written during, during the Bible times. No way. The Bible is a foundation. It's solid. We cannot change it. We have to study it in its context, apply its context to our context today, but we have to study it in its context. And that's the key to all the scripture. It's the key to discerning what's a cult and what's not a cult, discerning what's true and what's not true. Truth doesn't set people free. Knowing the truth sets people free. So that's what we want to do. I want to help people know the truth. And that's why I love talking to Jehovah's Witnesses to help them understand truth. Good, good question, guys. Good question. Awesome. So uh, for those of you who have been listening to our previous Worldviews uh, podcasts, um, this episode might sound a little different to you guys, um, but don't worry. Uh, I think that our, our goal here um, is going to be to just make sure that we're all on the same page about kind of the major differences between uh, traditional Orthodox Christianity and Jehovah's Witness. And as you've kind of already heard, um, one of the major facets is how they view Jesus. Um, Adrian said that one of the fundamentals of the faith is the deity of Christ. Um, in case you don't speak Greek or whatever that language is, uh, deity just means godness. Uh, they don't believe in the godness of Christ. Um, and meaning the one true highest only God. Yeah, the I am, That's the key. Yahweh from the, the God of the Bible. <laughs> um, Jehovah. Jehovah. So um, in addition to that, Adrian, I was curious, what are some of the other kind of primary differences between Jehovah's Witness and uh, Christian and Orthodox Christians? Well, they have uh, uh, interesting little belief systems where they don't celebrate uh, holidays like Christmas. Uh, they don't celebrate birthdays. Uh, they're not allowed to give blood transfusions. Uh, that's changed throughout time a little bit. Uh, they believe that Christ their their prophet is called the Watchtower. I have a Watchtower magazine, so I recommend if they ask you to take their magazine, don't don't take it, don't ever take it. It's it's, from, it's their prophet. Um, that's what they believe is their prophet. What if we uh, want to take it to to just see what they're saying and and then you know talk with them or something? Yeah, I don't mind you taking it, Charlie. <laughs> but if someone's listening <laughs> online and they're not okay. prepared to just to really understand and discern. I don't recommend you taking it. I don't ever take the Book of Mormon from somebody either. I've read the Book of Mormon. I've studied it. I probably know more about it than they know about it kind of thing. But uh, I don't recommend other people to do it because I don't know how equipped we are. It's kind of a dangerous thing. A cult is a dangerous thing. It's just a little yeah. bit off. It's just a little bit off. Uh, uh, I love brownies, but if you put a little uh, – I shouldn't use that illustration. You know what I'm saying. That's a horrible Come word. on. <laughs> no, I'm not going to use that illustration. We're from Colorado. Come on, man. Oh, okay. I guess it's if, you put, if you put a little poop in your brownies, it's just a little bit of poop. And that's to, <laughs> that, that, to me, is the issue. 
is the issue is, is trying to make sure. Wait, so, did, didn't Jesus say if you put a little yeast in the dough? Mm-hmm. Anyway. A little yeast affects all. He says it affects all. And I was using this illustration here. A little bit of untruth affects the entire system. So um, that's a good illustration there. A little bit of yeast in the dough affects the whole thing. But the watchtower said that prophesied. Here's one of the, their issues. I know we weren't supposed to get to this till later, but since it's on my mind, otherwise I might forget it forever. Uh, the Watchtower in 1914 said that Jesus was was, was going to return in 1914. When he didn't return in 1914, they republished the Watchtower and they said, oh, we're so sorry, we got it wrong. We meant to say 1924. So when he didn't return in 1924, it was 1932, 36, 52, 54. Then they said, wait a minute, we were wrong in 54. He actually did come back in 1914, and I'm going. I and I talked to the I talked to the guy, the Jehovah's Witnesses that are on my porch. I said, "Now wait a minute. Do you think Jesus came back in 1914 for real?" Uh, uh, they also believe in the Jehovah's Witnesses. There's going to be 144,000 people Jehovah's Witnesses sealed who go to heaven. So I always ask them, "Are you one of those?" And no one I've ever talked to said that they were one of those. I said, "Well, then how do you get to heaven?" They said, well, there's another place we go that's like that, like a, another level. And I'm going, okay. So there's a lot of different things that they believe that are just really out there. You know what I mean? They're really uh, scientifically messed up, biblically messed up. There's a lot of issues. It's not quite as bad as the Mormons. The Mormons, there's nothing archaeologically clear about anything they've ever found, ever. Archaeologists, archaeologists say there's nothing in the Book of the Mormon that's been validated archaeologically ever, ever. And, uh, uh, Eight of their eight of their of their eleven disciples of Joseph Smith, eight of them. I have a book with a picture in it that shows the picture. Eight of them signed an affidavit saying we made the whole thing up. Eight of the eleven before they died confessed to making the whole thing up. The other three, the other three, died in a gunfight in Ohio, so they didn't have a chance to recant before they died. But a, a lot of these things start that way, and it's it's sad that you know that darwin started the reason why darwin started with ev with a with a uh, evolution was because of the church disenfranchised him and the church was doing stuff and in 1805 for goodness sake uh the second great awakening was stopped because people were complaining about about what people wore in church and i the church would be awesome if it wasn't for people i heard a pastor say one time and I, sometimes we just get messed up here's the key stick to the scriptures love god and love people that's that's the secret. That's the key. Study the Bible. Don't get messed up by these cults and don't get off track. Sorry about talking so much, but I love uh, to talk. Bless my heart. Yeah, we are <laughs> thankful for what yeah, you I, uh, conversation. I, I was pulling up online here the five fundamentals that you mentioned and kind of comparing what we're talking about with Jehovah's Witness against those five fundamentals. The inerrancy of Scripture, the virgin birth of Christ, the substitutionary atonement of Christ on the cross the bodily resurrection of Christ and the reality, reality of the miracles of Christ. So those five. And I was just looking at that and I had read somewhere, maybe you could talk about this, Adrian, that I had read that Jehovah's witness don't actually believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus, only a spiritual resurrection after his death. Have you heard that or seen that anywhere? I have never heard that. I did not know. I have not, I've heard them. The Mormons, no, no. I've heard that Islam believes that yeah. Jesus somehow supernaturally was replaced on the cross and yeah. didn't die. Um, I've heard that. I haven't heard that it wasn't, it wasn't a supernatural. The resurrection is the key miracle to all of Christendom. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we are greatly to be pitied. And that, that, is, the, that is the secret. See, the deity of Christ is is on the table now. And I always do this with my Jehovah's Witness uh, guys who come to the church. I don't have any Jehovah's Witness friends, but I wish I did. I have some acquaintances that are Jehovah's Witnesses that I don't like to talk to me too much. Um, but uh, I try to make friends with these guys because I want to have fun. <laughs> Bless my heart. But I'm just saying, um, when the deity of Christ is on the table, the key evidence is the resurrection of Christ. Now, whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, if you want to put that on the table, that's not hard at all to, to, to figure out. And I'm talking about using, uh, there's a guy named Simon Greenleaf who, who um, was the chairman of the Harvard Law School. Uh, he wrote the evidentiary process 
by which we put people on trial today. In other words, he wrote the trial law, the way that we try people today. Uh, and he wrote that process. And he was an atheist. His students back in the early Harvard days were solid Christians because that's how the Harvard got started. It was a, like a Bible college, like, a, like to train pastors and whatnot. Um, that's how it got started. And so there's still a lot of remnant of that going on there. A lot of his Christian students went to Simon Greenleaf. Uh, uh, would you put Jesus on trial using your evidentiary process by which you try people? So Simon Greenleaf took a year sabbatical, set out to disprove the deity of Christ, the, 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 the whole system of Christianity. He came back a Christian because he said there's only one way that this could have happened. Jesus had to have risen from the dead. The resurrection from the dead is the is the centerpiece of all of Christendom. So a guy named Josh McDowell back in our century, Josh McDowell set out, he was a law student. Josh McDowell gets saved. So a guy named uh, Lee Strobel, who was the chief legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, his wife got saved under Bill Hybels teaching at Willow Creek in Chicago. And he set out to disprove Christianity once and for all by using his, he had a, he had a law degree from Yale and a journalism degree from the University of Chicago. So he's a legal, the, the chief legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. He brought down one of the, uh, the Chicago crime uh, uh, family's top enforcers. He brought one of the guys down. I mean, very powerful guy in his town. He's an atheist. He sets out to disprove Josh McDowell and Simon Greenlee. He comes back. I read his books, A Case for Christ, A, a, a Case for, for Faith, Case for uh, uh, a lot of different things, cases that he had, a lot of books. Anything by Lee Strobel is awesome. But it's kind of deep in a, in, a, in a legal, a lot of legal jargon in there. But uh, I'm not very smart, so I have to get someone else to interpret for me. But I'm just saying, um, when, 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 when he came back after a year sabbatical, Lee Strobel turned into a great evangelist and great speaker for the Lord. Um, but that's the question. Did the disciples, could they have hidden the body? The only thing that's written down in antiquity, which means written down in history, the only thing that's written down in antiquity is that, other than the resurrection, is that the body was taken by the disciples. So if the Jews take the body, the Romans take the body, they hate Christianity, they stop Christianity by producing the body. It's easy. It's an easy circumstance. We need to put it on, put it on trial. If we want to put it on trial, the only other option is the disciples took the body. But would they have died? saying they saw Jesus risen from the dead. Now, this is a, off the subject a little bit, but this is the deity of Christ on the table here. This is my, I was in the state of Washington. Interesting story here. I hope you guys don't mind if I, if I give the story. If you do mind, <laughs> it's not, uh, okay, let's keep going. So, um, so this, this guy comes up and sits across from me. It was a, a youth conference, 500 or so students were at this conference. Pretty cool. Awesome conference in Washington State. I saw eagles diving down and getting fish out of the lake, and I saw osprey. I loved it there. So I'm a nature guy. I love nature. I love sitting out there watching it, have my quiet times out there. But that's beside the point. Okay, so this guy comes and sits down across from me. He says, hey, uh, Adrian, can you help us? My wife and I, his wife was sitting there too. Can you help my wife and I with our relationship with each other? I looked at him. I said, yeah, I, I might be able to. I don't know. The Bible has a lot of verses about that. But uh, but if you insult her in front of me, I'm coming across the table, and you're going to have to take me out. He looked at my neck. Uh, my top gift is discernment, so I was discerning. Uh, he looked right at my neck when I said, I'm coming across the table to take you out. You're going to have to take me out. He looked at my neck. I said, why would you look at my neck? He said, oh, oh, sorry, 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 sorry. I said, what do you do? He said, uh, I'm in special forces. I said, oh, my goodness. Okay. You looked at my neck because you're going to put your thumb in my neck and you're going to, you're going to dis whatever me at my neck. He said, well, yeah, I guess I'd hit you right in the neck. And that's probably the first place I'd hit you if you came across at me. I said, I said, okay, what part of special forces are you in? He said, he says, I'm in black ops. I said, what? Black ops? I said, what were you before black ops? Because I know there's a system to get up to, but he said, I was a Navy SEAL before black ops. I said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. okay, hold on a second. Give me the difference between Navy SEAL training and black ops training. Now, you don't understand where I'm headed now just listening to this, but I'm going to get to it in a few seconds. This is a very important question about the resurrection of Christ. This is the key question. The difference between Navy SEAL training and black ops training. He said, Navy SEAL is kindergarten, black ops is university. I said, what? 
Navy SEAL training. They, they throw you out in the middle of the ocean and say, swim home or you die. And I mean, he said, oh, no, 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 don't get me wrong. Navy SEAL was very, very difficult, very difficult. Broke me physically. But black ops training broke me mentally. I said, what? Why? Why do they do it? They say they do it in case any of us ever get captured. Um, they don't want us to release information. They want us to be able to get tortured to the point of death and not release information. See, that one of the top psychologists in the world, a guy from, uh, it's in Josh McDowell's books, uh, Ready Defense, Evidence that Demands a Verdict, More Evidence that Demands a Verdict. It's all summarized in a book called Ready Defense. It's pretty pretty good little reading. I read the whole, I read the whole Evidence that Demands a Verdict and, and More Evidence that Demands a Verdict. And uh, you're not supposed to read those. Those are like encyclopedias. I didn't know that. I was begging, begging the Lord for me to, to read an illustration somewhere. It was fact, 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 fact. I'm going to give me an illustration. You're killing me. But I, I read it through for six months. And, but one of my problems is if I read anything, I've got it. I've memorized it. It's with me forever. It's one of my problems. I have to be careful what I read or look at or what I watch and stuff like that. So, uh, 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 so, I, so Josh McDowell talked about a, 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 um, a, um, a psychologist who said, then no one has ever willingly died a torturous martyr's death for a lie. So I, I heard Josh McDowell say that. So I'm asking this guy who's been trained to be tortured. Okay. So I asked him the question, what percentage of black ops guys do they believe can withstand torture and not give up information? And the guy didn't even hesitate. He said 10%. I said, wait a minute. 10% of the world's greatest trained men in the world would not release information. He said, I think that's a lie. It's probably not as high as 10%. I said, okay, good. That's all I need to know. He said, why are you asking me that? I said, because all the disciples were tortured to death except for John. And, and according to Josephus, they dipped John in boiling oil seven times. They dipped him down in boiling oil because he wouldn't recant. Uh, deny Jesus, and they, he kept saying Jesus is risen from the dead. He kept on saying it, and John said, "I'm going to stand on this." I'm gonna, they dipped him in boiling oil seven times, and Josephus said, when they pulled him out, he didn't even have the smell of smoke on him. Now, who is Josephus? Josephus was a Jewish historian who hated Christians, hated Christians, despised them in his writings. So he's writing about this Christian leader who was pulled out of a boiling oil, didn't even have the smell of smoke on him. So they said, "We can't kill him." We don't know how we're going to be able to kill him. So let's exile him to an island called Patmos. And John wrote the book of Revelation from the island of Patmos. God said, I don't want him dead yet. I want him to uh, write one more book for me, the book of Revelation. So from the island of Patmos, first, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, uh, the revelation of the Lord Jesus from the island of Patmos. So he wrote it from there. So all the other disciples were tortured to death. Bartholomew was filleted, flayed alive. A common form of torture where they've cut the flesh off the skin, cut the flesh off your bones alive, like filleting a fish. He was filleted alive. Thaddeus was shot to death by arrows. Matthias was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple, 340-foot drop, thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and beat to death with clubs to make sure he was dead. Uh, James was beheaded. Paul was beheaded. Uh, Matthew was uh, beheaded. Um, Peter came to a cross. And it says, it says, and it's a legendary phrase uh, that when Peter came to the cross, and when I say legend, I mean it was written by the early church fathers. They talked about him. Uh, uh, Tertullian talks about it. Eusebius talks about it. All these early church fathers talk about it. Peter came to the cross and said, I'm not worthy to die like Jesus died. Turn the cross upside down. So Peter was inverted on a cross. The way you die, the way you die inverted on a cross, you die of asphyxiation when you're on the cross the right way. But when you're turned upside down, you die from your guts literally in in inertin, invertin. Your guts literally come out of your of your mouth. That's how you die. You choke on your own guts. And so um, uh, Peter died saying, "I saw Jesus risen from the dead." So if the deity of Christ is on the on the table, which is what it is in a conversation with Jehovah's Witness, the question then becomes, how do you know He's God? The way you know He's God is He rose from the dead. That's how you know He's God. That's the issue. The resurrection. If he didn't raise from the dead, then we as Christians are greatly to be pitied, greatly to be pitied. But don't get me wrong. I still have peace and joy and, and fun. I'm having a blast even in this, in this COVID-19 thing. I've never had an opportunity in my life to rejoice in suffering. This is the first chance ever. And I've had suffering issues like my brother dying, my mom dying, and different things. And I've, had, I've, been, I've had been 
been beat up before for the gospel and I've had different things happen to me, but that's not really suffering. That's just temporary smack. I get six months of this smack with the COVID. The COVID. I mean, I get a chance right now to rejoice in my adversity, even though it's not really that adverse. Like the African-American culture understands it better than I do. I'm a Caucasian dude. I don't know what that means. I've never really seen a white guy, nor have I ever seen a black guy. But, you know, I, uh, I've seen some, some, some whiter dudes, though. So I'm just saying um, uh, 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 the African-American culture has a better f- understanding about rejoicing and suffering than I do because their ancestors have been oppressed. The Jewish nation has been oppressed. They understand oppression. They understand. So when Paul wrote Rejoice in Suffering, he was talking to a whole nation that's in oppression. Uh, as a white dude, I haven't understood that until this COVID thing. If I don't, if I can't rejoice in right now in my suffering, then I am going to waste an opportunity right now to to that that's a God given opportunity for me right now to rejoice in in adversity. I gotta I gotta figure out how to look at this and rejoice in it, not just endure it, which is I hear on the commercials all the time. We need to get through this. We need to endure this. No, no, no. We need to soar. When you mount up a wing like on eagles. Eagles, when they when a storm's coming, they mount their wings straight out, and when a storm hits them, they soar above the storm. And that's what we need to do as Christians: soar. Well, how do we soar? Truth. What, what truth is just sitting there unless you study it. Truth doesn't set people free. Knowing the truth sets people free. The Scripture says, "You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free." So that's what we need to do. We need to know that Jesus rose from the dead, so we can raise our hands in the air and say, "Yes." We're Christians, and this is awesome. And that's that's the whole key to Christendom. That's why I like, talk, like talking to Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm a happy dude. Hey, amen. Resurrection is key, absolutely key. Uh, and and I'm glad you mentioned that. Adding some things to what we actually talked about. If you are downloading our podcast, uh, worldviews number one and number two, we talked about. Why Christianity? Why the biblical Jesus? And the key, key, key piece is the resurrection from the dead of Jesus. If that isn't there, uh, I say throw your Bible in the trash, close the church doors, walk away, and never talk of it again. But we believe he has, and it makes all the difference. So uh, what, Adrian, let's, let's uh, kind of wrap up our talk here on Jehovah's Witnesses. What else would you share with us about engaging a Jehovah's Witness, those people who knock on your doors? Uh, I've actually had uh, interesting times. Um, Anytime I have been complimented for reading my Bible in public, 100% of the time it's been a Jehovah's Witness. I've been reading my Bible at a coffee shop or get outside at a park somewhere. I'm just sitting reading my Bible. And without doubt, they all do the same thing. Hey, I see you're reading the Bible. That's awesome. And then they sit down and start talking to me. I said, yeah, read the Bible. What church you go to? I uh, go to the Kingdom Hall of Jehovah's Witnesses. I said, oh, okay. And then we start talking. Uh, and I made a mistake one time. Uh, this lady walked up to me and said that one time when I was reading my Bible at a coffee shop. And uh, later she said, yeah, I saw your face drop when I told you what church I went to. I was going, oh, no, I have nothing against you. I, I so appreciate that you came up to me. It's just that listen, we can talk about this. I know that you're missing out. I know that you're missing out on truth because of that. Uh, so anyway, it's just interesting that maybe if you're listening and you have that experience, man, Lord, would you give us more of those experiences? I pray that, that he would, because you'll have an opportunity to talk to more of them. Uh, but, but let's, let's say, Adrian, what, let's say we do get those opportunities. What, what should we do? How should we talk to them? Uh, it seems like it, it, Jehovah's Witness, obviously, it doesn't teach things that are true to the scripture. We, we have so many evidences for the manuscripts of the Bible, why it is accurate, and the, the New World Translation is not accurate, and we see that Jesus claimed to be God, and therefore we're saying, okay, that's what we see there. So there's some kind of reality and inconsistency to Je- the system of Jehovah's Witnesses, but, but how can we talk with them and engage them? Well, there's a principle, Charlie. Good question, by the way. Good question. I love you guys, Nathan and Charlie. When I grow up, I want to be like you. Okay, so there's a, there's a principle here when you're sharing your faith with anybody, for that sake, uh, for that matter. And it's, it's I, don't, I, don't, I didn't coin the term, uh, but I use the term. I don't know who told me. I got heard it from someone. I don't care. But 
It's bridge building. Bridge building is the secret to evangelization, for evangelizing anyone. There has to be a bridge between you and the person who's talking to you. Uh, for example, I learned to memorize. I've, I've got 17 different techniques on how to share my faith memorized. And one of them was uh, uh, EE. It was uh, from D. James Kennedy and Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church down in Florida. He, did, he wrote something called Evangelism Explosion. So that, that witnessing technique. I was learning it in seminary. And I'm, one of my, one of my um, seminary assignments was to go out and use EE. EE says, don't ever chase a rabbit in a conversation stick with the gospel. So I was talking to this guy. Uh, uh, he was raised in the Catholic church. I was raised in the Catholic church. So we had a lot in common. And, and he said, my granddaddy used to read me the Bible. So I saw that as a rabbit and I got back to eat. I got back to the gospel and I saw him shut straight down. He didn't hear another word. The bridge between he and I was destroyed by me shutting down and not chasing a rabbit. So I disagree with EE that says don't chase rabbits. I chase rabbits for a living. I love chasing rabbits. The problem with chasing rabbits is you better know what you're talking about or they're going to eat you alive. So the, the more knowledge you have, the more study you do. So I will go out and, and share the gospel with somebody on the streets, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, come across them, and I'll, I'll share the gospel and fail miserably. Then I'll go back, not mess, not beat myself up, but study so the next time I don't fail as bad. So go back, study, go, go out there, share the gospel. That's that's the technique I want to teach people. Go out there and fail. It's not a failure in God's eyes anyways. Anytime you mention the gospel, it's a tremendous victory in the heavenly realm. But from our perspective, it looks like it feels like a failure. So that's understandable. But when I'm talking to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and any kind of cult groups, I never use the term cult. I never let my face see that, that, that I disagree with them. I laugh. I use humor. I brag about them. I, I say to them, you're out here in the rain, like Charlie said earlier. You're out here in the rain. This is awesome. You're so committed. That's great. I talked to some Mormon missionaries the other day who uh, had a mission somewhere, and, and or they were back home from their first, from their mission. I said, that's amazing. I've been in 37 countries. And they go, really? So you understand what I've been doing? I said, yeah, I understand. This is awesome. The, 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 the concept of loving Jesus is the most important thing in my entire life. Jesus is my my, the holy, true God, in, and I'm getting these lines in there while I'm laughing and having a good time and not looking at it like I'm talking to a cult guy. We got to figure out how to love these people because love covers over a multitude of sins, and love is more powerful than faith and hope. So we got we to gotta figure out how to love them because they're not going to be interested in what you have to say until they see that you have a heart for them. So the what's that old phrase, Charlie or Nathan, what's that old phrase that People don't care how much you love until they love how much you care or something. I don't know. I don't get into those cheesy schmacks, but I'm just saying that's true though. There's something too that if if you don't love them, so so I teach young speakers, young evangelistic type people. When you're out there sharing the gospel with uh, Jehovah's Witness, do not use the term cult. Do not insult them. Do not feel uncomfortable around them. Love them. They are who Jesus died for. Picture them that way. They are an opportunity for you to perfect the skill of learning how to share the gospel in the first place. So use, you. I wouldn't say use them, but you practice on them. Practice and practice, practice, because they're some of the hardest people. I, I, I have a testimony. This is a horrible testimony. Uh, I've talked to so many Mormon missionaries throughout my years, and I mean hundreds of them, hundreds of them. This is a horrible testimony. You ready for it? I have never led a Mormon missionary to Christ. Now, I've led several Mormons to Christ, but never a missionary. They have an older guy and a younger guy that travel together. The older guy will lose his salvation if the younger guy leaves the church. So I'll make a simple comment. If I can prove to you that Joseph Smith's the, the, uh, a false prophet, would you leave the church? Every time the older guy says no and the young guy says yes. Every time. Out of all of them. And I've done this hundreds of times. So. It's very, very difficult. Cults are hard. So the key is truth, but the key is also love. The more you love them, fun, I used to take ginger ale and 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 and, and graham crackers because I couldn't have caffeine, so I take some ginger ale, and some graham crackers, and I would take them in there, and you and we do jokes and laughing and having a good time, and I'd do the Bible, and and so 
the key is don't ever insult somebody when you're trying to lead them to Christ. <laughs> That's the key. It seems to not work. I don't know why, but it just seems to not work. Plus, Jesus walked into the house. Here's the key. Jesus walks into the house of a bunch of sinners and tax collectors, Luke chapter 15. He's having dinner with them. The Pharisees are outside complaining. You're eating with sinners and tax collectors, and Jesus gives them three parables. All three parables were great, great rebukes of the Pharisees. First one's the parable of the lost sheep. Leave the 99, go after the one. Huge rebuke. I'm here for these sinners and tax collectors. I'm not here for the sheep that are in the pen. Uh, uh, the next one is the lost coin. Another rebuke. The third one is a huge rebuke. See, the Jewish nation, and the Jewish nation, I've heard this said before, that a Jewish father would never run after his son who had despised him and sinned against him so horribly. A Jewish father would never run after his son. So the Jews say, no, no, he would run after him to protect him from, from someone else attacking him. No, that's not it. The, the parable is still the deity of Christ. God the Father ran after the Son because of his great love, and the, and the Pharisees had forgotten about the love of God. And so that's why when people use you know, the, the rabbis and whatnot to help us understand Scripture, that's, not, that's the wrong way to do it because they don't understand the love of God. They've turned their backs on the love of God. They don't, all they understand is rules and traditions and, and law and whatnot. They don't understand grace or love. So I'm not going to use any of that to help me understand the New Testament. So these three rebukes of the, of the Pharisees were the same rebukes that I would give to anybody to say, listen, treat any kind of Jehovah's Witness as a sinner or tax collector. Treat them as sit there and dine with them, eat with them, uh, befriend them, love them. If you're weaker and, and don't be best friends with them, the Bible says not to be unequally yoked, but but you should still have friends with them. I have a handful of acquaintances. I need to have more friends with them. So uh, that's my two cents worth right there. I I uh, have a kind of a, a story with that. I, I find myself struggling very much when I encounter things that are not true, um, things that I know for a fact are not true. And oftentimes... Um, I get, I, I, I don't know, you guys can say I'm not godly, but um, <laughs> I, I get angry, like at these, la these untruths. And uh, sometimes I find that I start putting that anger on people instead of the idea. Um, and one thing that I, you guys may have already listened to our, our episode on Mormonism, um, listening, as we were recording that episode, I realized that um, people have been deceived, right? Like, why are you getting angry at the people who have been deceived? You should be feeling compassion. You should be feeling love for these people, um, sorrow for them, uh, not, not anger or, or, or a desire to insult and argue with. So I don't know. That's my two cents also. Yeah. I, I just had a conversation with a guy right before this meeting here for about an hour and a half about this one issue. And it comes down to the definition, my definition of the word exhortation. Exhortation is a great encouragement, three quarters encouragement, one quarter rebuke. That's what exhortation is, the biblical concept of exhortation. It's like slapping people on the back of the head and walking out front and saying, you okay? I saw that guy, you want me to get him for you? It's, that's what exhortation is. So whenever someone has an untruth in front of me, I always find the three or four or 5% of it that's actually true, and I capitalize on that. I explode. I said, yeah, that's awesome. This part right here is awesome. That's exactly right. And I'll brag on them. I said, I can't believe you got this other part. I'm not so sure. I don't know where. What in the world, man? You're killing me, Smalls. And I'll make a joke about it, slapping them in the back of the head as hard as I can because I cannot abide in my life untruth. I can't stand it. But I want them to not abide it either. So how do I, in, you know, infiltrate their thinking? Encouragement, humor, laughter, slapping them in the back of the head and walking out front saying, you okay? I saw that guy. You want me to get him for you? So, I mean, I'm not deceiving them at all. I'm just using exhortation. It's uh, one of my spiritual gifts. I'm trying to figure out a way to get them encouragingly brought to the gospel. So I never, ever blow up with anger, anger. Uh, what does it say in James? Man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God. So I don't. I want the righteousness of God to be brought about. So even though I'm just like you, Nathan, I feel the same exact way. I I 
I cannot stand untruth. It just, it's just like a, so I laugh and attack it. And I figure out the best way to attack it is joy and humor and find the three or four or 5% that I can, that I can encourage and love on and just and then get them and going. And then around the end, a little while later, three or four or five minutes later, I'll, I'll rebuke the, the, the negative part. <laughs> See, you can't really rebuke somebody until you earn the right anyways. If that makes any sense, you can't until you earn the right to rebuke somebody till they want to hear what you have to say. You can't really rebuke. So I use humor to earn the right to rebuke. Makes perfect sense. Well, so, uh, as yeah, as, as we're loving people, Adrian, maybe we can end on this idea. Uh, Jehovah's witness specifically, as we're building that bridge, what would you say is a tool as we build the bridge and we're loving them, what tool would you recommend that people would start with or say, Hey, what's, what's uh, one thing I could go to. Should I go to that scripture you mentioned about the deity of Christ or what's the first starting conversational piece that I should point to, to say, no, actually here's what the scriptures say about Jesus just in that conversation space with them. Okay. I, I have an illustration for that. Um, <laughs> Charlie, you may not like what I'm getting ready to say, but I, I just need to say it. And it doesn't deal directly with Jehovah's Witnesses because Jehovah's Witnesses were a result of this illustration. It deals directly with Mormonism. I'm not going to get into Mormonism. I know we did another podcast on that. But I was driving down the road, and I saw these two guys on bikes. Are you picturing it now? My, everyone who just heard me is picturing it in their minds. They have a little black name card on their, on their white shirt with a tie on on these 10-speed bikes driving on the road. My car somehow, I don't know how it happened, swerved over in front of them. I don't know how it happened. I just kind of and I stopped, and they came to a stop. It wasn't dangerous or anything like that. They came to a stop, and I said, hey, guys, what are you guys doing? This is awesome. And they were smiling and said, yeah, they're thinking potential convert, or maybe he's already a Mormon. Maybe he's just going to encourage us. But uh, I said, listen, listen, um, uh, I don't want to lie to you guys. I'm a preacher. Um, 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 um. I would love to meet with you. Do you have a day off? Well, Tuesday's our day off. I said, okay, I'll come visit you at your apartment on Tuesday next week. And I said, okay. I said, what's your address? And I wrote it down. I said, I'll come see you guys. I'll bring some ginger on graham crackers. I'll give you guys about 30 minutes to convert me. And then I get 30 minutes to convert you and we'll have fun with it. What do you think? Uh, okay, we'll do it. I go back to uh, a bunch of my seminary buddies. I said, listen, I've got this opportunity. I need you to be praying about it. It's interesting how we say, could you pray about this? Because we're actually bragging. Seriously, I mean, get, get a job, read the book of Job. But I'm sitting there. I said, I need you. I really did need them to pray. But I wasn't bragging about me going to talk to Mormons. But uh, maybe a little bit. I don't care. So I said, I need you to pray about this. All of my buddies rebuked me, rebuked me hard. And this is getting into your answer, Charlie. They rebuked me hard. I said, what? I'm kidding. They said, those guys will eat you alive. Have you studied anything about Mormonism? Have you studied anything about Jehovah's Witnesses? Have you studied anything about cults and what they believe? Anything? I said, well, no, but I've read the Bible, so I know how to answer it. They said, no, no, no. You've got to study what they're thinking. If you don't study what they're they're going to ambush you. It's going to be so hard. So for the next five days, I read every book I could find about Mormonism. The top book that I recommend is called Confronting the Cults. I just went blank on the author's name. But if you just Google confronting the cults, maybe one of these uh, baby ba Zoomers, m millennial people um, can do it for me real quick, Charlie or, or Nathan. I bet they, they're probably already doing it right now. It's called Confronting the Cults. I think I forget the guy's name. But what that book does. Gordon, Gordon R. Lewis. Gordon Lewis. That's right. Exactly right. I told you it was Gordon Lewis. So Confronting the Cults, Gordon Lewis. Um, he he does the best with the cults, I think, because what he does is he goes through and talks about the cult. Jehovah's Witnesses in there, Mormons in there. There's different uh, Christian sciences in there, different things like that. And 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 he goes through and 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 and, and deals with it. But then he does does the Bible verses to answer it, and he does their verses in comparison. So he does both. The that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see what their verses said, so I could attack their verses like. Uh, uh, uh right. Jehovah's Witness stuff and the Mormon yeah. stuff and all the, the New World Translation. So that's how I say prepare for this. Read some extra biblical writing by Gordon Lewis about it 
so that you can, and it's not that big a book. It's just a little, it's my style of book. I took freshman English as a fifth year senior. So if I can read it, you guys can read it. So um, 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 it's just a little Gordon Lewis, but it, it deals with the, it does the verses from their Bibles and from our Bibles and does the comparison, which is what I wanted. Okay. So I recommend something like that. Read a book about Jehovah's Witnesses if you want to, uh, you want to do it. So get as much information as you can about them. And then, you know, take what the scriptures say and, and apply and, and love and so on and so forth. Hope that answers your question, Charlie. It's been so long since I've heard the question. I can't remember what it was. But that's beside the point. That's what I, I recommend training before you go out and do some of this stuff. Great. Yeah. So uh, start with reading, Confronting the Colts. Great book. I just added it to my Amazon cart so I can go check it out. I have a book here. I don't know if it's in print anymore, uh, but some of the things I found is in the 10 most important things you can say to a Jehovah's Witness by Ron Rhodes. Uh, I don't know if it exists anymore or not, but uh, what I've seen in it is phenomenal. Uh, and, and that whole piece, Adrian, that you mentioned about is Jesus really God is a key thing they hit on in this book. They give you what the Watchtower people say, and then they give you what the scriptures say and kind of some ways that you can navigate that conversation. Uh, so some two helpful tools that might, might help out there. What we have to be careful about sometimes is these guys, these leaders of these different cults are reading these books and training their people on how to answer mm -hmm. these issues. So you got to go a little deeper into why and truth. So, I mean, that's where some philosophy comes in. Jesus is the greatest philosopher of all time. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And, Philosophy, by definition, is a searching for truth. Actually, I think it's looking for a black cat in a dark room that doesn't exist, but I don't want to get into that. So uh, um, I, I love philosophy. Don't get me wrong. But there's a lot of philosophers out there looking for a black cat in a dark room that doesn't exist. And it's kind of weird. Some philosophies have really gone off the deep end. Bless their hearts. I'm not going to mention any names. But um, 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 but the guys in 1800s and 1700s are <laughs> Okay, so. My point here is that, um, did I just say that out loud? I may have lost half of our audience. Sorry, guys. I love philosophy. Philosophy is important, but it's truth that's the key. Search for truth. So um, that's my two cents on that. Well, thank you so much, Adrian. This has been phenomenal. And uh, I hope that to all our listeners, this is an encouraging time for you. Uh, just remember that Jesus' deity is really important. And also, we need to love these people. <laughs> and, yeah. I think that's the two, the two things that I'm for sure taking away from this time together, uh, in addition to everything else, of course. Um, but thank you so much for joining us for this latest episode of Feel for the Harvest. Hope you guys have a great day. God bless.